1: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. Book back to Episode 7. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Co- Curb oh. Street is the on podcast the phone. Of Here. Here's a sports podcast. It is Friday, October 20th, 2023. People. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. And if you see the smirk on my face on YouTube, by the way, subscribe to this channel. That's one. But two, we got ourselves a jam-packed episode of the Air Tours pod. Here's what you need to know. We're going to open the crazy Jim Harbaugh, Michigan story. Cannot believe. Here we are again with Harbaugh, just a complete I don't even know what to say about this guy at this point. Another NCA issue. This one much more serious than the last one. We'll discuss that, break it all down. From there, we will do our week eight college football preview. We'll probably make it a little bit quicker this week, but we talked Penn State, Ohio State on the last episode. We will talk USC, Utah. We will talk Tennessee, Alabama, Old Miss, Auburn, all the big games, Clemson, Miami. From there, we'll take a quick break, do something different. Garrett Carr, a buddy of mine, he's been on this show a few times as a guest. He writes for Aaron Torres online, but he lives in the Midwest, covers Midwest football, high school and college. Been around a lot of these Ohio State players, a lot of these Penn State players. And we're going to take it. He's going to take you behind the scenes into this rivalry. He knows a lot of these players, a lot of these backgrounds. I think he's going to have some very, very good insight for you. And then finally, we will wrap with America's Favorite Podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And boy, oh boy, oh boy. Do I got a lot to discuss today? With that said, there is no more time. We got such a loaded show. Let's not waste any more time. And let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, bluntly, you do not need me to tell you. But our old buddy Jim Harbaugh is back in the news again. Back in the headlines. Back in the crosshairs of the NCAA for all of the wrong reasons. We're going to get into everything that happened on Thursday. I'll give you everything that we know up until this moment. But just understand this is an ever-evolving story. Things are changing. Things will continue to change. And I am just kind of reacting to the news that we have in real time. For people who do not know, obviously, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan were in the midst of an NCAA investigation all summer. But on Thursday, we found out that there is yet a different investigation And in this case, undoubtedly more serious as Michigan football, not Jim Harbaugh necessarily, but Michigan football is accused of sending assistant coaches on the road to scout future opponents. And essentially the insinuation is that they have been sent to future opponents to essentially try and steal signs so they can get an advantage when they play. Story was first broken by Yahoo Sports, Ross Dellinger, and Dan Wetzel. And let's get a couple clarifications out of the way right now. So to be clear, one, it is not illegal to technically steal signs, although it is very unethical. Where the issue comes in, by the way, all sorts of schools through the years have been accused of of stealing signs. Most notably, Brent Venables, when he was at Clemson, it was an ongoing conversation. Is that guy stealing signs? Is he not? But essentially, Michigan was accused of sending coaches on the road in advance of big games, not just this year, but in previous years, maybe in advance of college football playoff games to do this. And so, again, it's not illegal to try and steal signs, although, again, it is completely unethical. Where the issue comes in is you cannot send coaches on the road. NCA bylaw 11.6.1 reads off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited so bottom line is you can dance around it however you want you can say whatever you want it is illegal to send assistant coaches or coaches on the road to visit other teams so that is what michigan is accused of again it is not illegal to steal signs although i will say there is one caveat if you're somehow getting into the headset if there's elect- if you're able to hear the electronic communication that's different but sending the coach on the road is illegal. And again, this is after an NCAA investigation this offseason that got Jim Harbour that three-game suspension to start the year. A couple other notes. One, we've seen coaches insinuate this throughout the year. Greg shiano at halftime of the Rutgers-Michigan game kind of hinted at, we got to switch some things up because it feels like they know some things about what we're doing. So this hasn't necessarily been a a totally kosher, like people in the big 10 appear to have kind of had an idea about this. Uh, And it is worth noting the big 10 has released a statement basically saying, we do not condone this. Um, Beyond that, uh, they've alerted future opponents. There was like half a second where Michigan state threatened to cancel the game this weekend, which is the lamest thing ever, but neither here nor there. Um, And Michigan has said that they plan to cooperate going forward. And so I want to break it all down. That is the update. That is what you need to know. Again, assistant coaches on the road, future opponents attempting to steal signs. And let me just say, this is a bad, 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 bad look. And I think it's safe to say that I think we're starting to see the end of the Jim Harbaugh era. I think he's going to be in the NFL next year. As far as the bad stuff, listen, we all know like where we're at with the NCAA. And I don't think any of us really cared all that much about the summer's uh, transgressions for Michigan football, right? Uh, Michigan, uh, you know, at the time was accused of maybe bringing recruits on campus illegally during COVID, not the greatest thing in the world, giving them free hamburgers, free meals. And again, I think Michigan felt like they addressed that in the offseason. It's rule breaking. You should be punished. The rules have changed whatever. But at the end of the day, they broke rules. Jim Harbaugh got his three game suspension and we all moved on. This to me, though, is a lot different because this to me is not just a, a you know, a recruiting advantage or whatever. This is a game, you know, potentially a game altering type of thing. And I think more importantly, a, a couple things. One, there's going to be some kind of future punishment from the NCAA. We'll see what happens. But two, I, I do think it sort of calls into question a lot of what Michigan has accomplished over the last couple of years. Listen, I'm the guy that's been saying on this pod all season long. Michigan is by far the best team I've seen all year in college football. Now I'm sitting there saying, well, are they the best team because they're awesome? Are they the best team because their coaches know what's coming before it comes? Um, I think obviously if you're an Ohio State fan right now, you're kind of scratching your head saying, wait a second now, those guys up at that school up north up there, are they really better than us? Or have they maybe known some things that they shouldn't have? I'm sure Penn State fans feel the same way. I'm sure other schools in the Big Ten feel the same way. And so this feels like it just calls into question everything. And I'll be curious what happens next from the Michigan and the Harbaugh perspective. From the Michigan perspective, it'll be interesting, right? Because Michigan's got their the future of their program to look out for. And I think when you look at Michigan's decision, li- listen, I think he's going to coach this weekend. But I think there's going to be pressure um, you know, to maybe potentially suspend him. We'll see if that happens. But I think more importantly, there's going to be pressure. Maybe it's not the best thing in the world if he comes back next year. He's broken multiple NCAA rules, multiple run-ins. We know some sort of punishment will come down the road, whether it's scholarship reductions, whether it's a future future suspension for Harbaugh. So it is a weird moment in time for Michigan. But I'll also say it's a weird moment in time for Harbaugh as well. Because when I look at this, I think all this really does is confirm to me. I think this is the, the last dance for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. And I've been saying that since a year ago, because we have now had two straight off seasons where Jim Harbaugh has flirted with the NFL. Remember two years ago, they make the playoff. Everybody feels good. He had just taken the pay cut. Then like literally the week after they make the playoff, they lose to Georgia. You hear him link to the Raiders. You hear him link to the, to the bears. That was the same off season, by the way, where he interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings on national signing day, which is still insane to think about. Last year, of course, he flirted with the Carolina Panthers and the Denver Broncos, and I can't even remember who else. But I bring it up because I said at the time, I said, "Look, when he resigned to come back to Michigan for one more year, or, or, or for this season, I should say, I said, I think this is probably his last year at Michigan because it's clear that this guy wants to get back to the NFL. I think he was ready to go last year if the right opportunity presented it itself. But I think what Harbaugh realized was a couple things: is one, Broncos. Panthers, who knows if an offer was ever handed out, but I think if he was like, if I want to go to a mediocre franchise that isn't winning, I can go next year as well, because my 2023 Michigan Wolverines team is on paper going to be the best team that I've had. Now, again, I'm calling into question. Are they really the best team that he's had? Or are they just cheating their butts off? I don't know, but I think a year ago he sat there and said, why am I going to rush to the NFL? I'm going to come back in 2023, try to win a national championship. Nothing will ever line up better for me I have Ohio State at home, Ohio State with a first-year quarterback. I own them. Penn State will have a first-year quarterback as well. This is the year that I got to try to make it happen. And I think even before all of this, I think Jim Harbaugh in his head was like, you know what, we're going to give it a run. This is the best team that I've had. If it works out, I get to go out on top. If it doesn't, I get to, you know, I, I get to say that I got Michigan as close as you can possibly get in the modern era. He also by the way had prior to I guess it was you know Wednesday or Thursday set up the program very nicely for the future. Sharon Moore is a future star in this sport. Uh you know Mike Hart great young head coach the the, the defensive coordinator is well regarded. So I bring it up because it just felt like even though he would never say it this felt like the last dance. But now and this is the important part I kind of think you kind of, I don't want to say you have to move off of him. He's the best coach in the history of modern Big Ten. You know, uh, he's the best. I don't want to say he's the best coach. Lloyd Carr won a national championship. But you get the point that I'm trying to make. He has been a great coach in this era of college football for Michigan. But I think, you know, one, I always suspected that he was ready to leave after this year. But is Michigan going to be ready to move on? Because one, you just look at the situation. This is now twice that he has rubbed his nose at the NCAA or or flipped his nose or whatever the term is that I'm looking for. Okay. In the summer, remember, it wasn't about the hamburgers. It was about the fact that he refused to apologize, refused to acknowledge it. He kind of changed his stories two, three, four times. And Michigan, I think kind of largely had his back at that moment. But now a second thing, a more serious thing. And again, a thing that in my opinion is ultimately going to lead to at some point, um, probably vacated wins and probably another lengthy suspension for Harbaugh if you try to bring them back. And so I'm not speculating. I'm not making an official thing here on October 20th, 2023, but if I had to guess, I think this is his last year. Just think it makes more sense from Michigan's perspective and certainly probably makes more sense from Harbaugh's perspective. We'll see what happens as I'm recording here. Nothing really kind of earth shattering from the Michigan side of things. Uh, as of now, they're going to let them coach on Saturday. Remember, Michigan has a bye after this week, so it'll be interesting if this quiets down or if it picks back up coming out of the bye. But what a wild story from Jim Harbaugh and Michigan! I just want to do take a quick break. Come back when we come back. We will preview Week Five, Week Five, Week Eight of the college football slate. Going to take a quick break. A lot of good games this weekend. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears and I do want to do a week eight college football preview. A couple notes before we get started. One, if you miss Wednesday's episode, I did do the deep dive on Penn State, Ohio State. Make sure to go back and listen there. Two, in about 15 minutes from now, I think this will be a quicker segment. I don't want to spend 40, you know, not 40, but 25, 30 minutes breaking down these games. Instead, I want to kind of go through a bunch of them quickly. And then my buddy Garrett Carr will join me. Garrett's been on this show a few times. Uh, he is a guy. He, he covers college football for not only Aaron Torres online.com, but also brobible.com. No, he is not sliced bread for those of you wondering. But more importantly, why I like having Garrett on, especially for this weekend. He lives in Big Ten country. He's covered Penn State games. He's been at their practices. I think he knows that program about as well as anybody that I know. So I thought it was fun to have him on. We talked for about 20, 25 minutes about that game. Jim Harbaugh, will Penn State win? All that good stuff. As far as the Penn State-Ohio State game is concerned, again, you could go back and listen to the podcast on Wednesday, but I'll just say this. The one thing, if you're keeping an eye on anything here over the next couple days in the lead up to the game, see if we can get any updates on Ohio State's uh, injury report. I told you on Wednesday, but Ohio State last week against Purdue was missing two of their three leading rushers, Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, as well as their number two receiver, Emeka Abuka. And then during the game last week, lost their second leading rusher, Chip Trainham, and their best cornerback in Denzel Burke. Don't think all of those guys will be out, but think some of them will, and some of them certainly won't be at full strength. Penn State, meanwhile, listen, they're essentially coming off a double buy. Had a bye two weeks ago, played UMass last week at home and I think they're going to be as as well-rested and well-prepared as they've ever been. Um, again, I'd like you to go back and listen to Wednesday's show, but I'll just be blunt. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I, I I will pick Penn State to win. I think the final score I said was 27-21, but this feels like the time. I don't know if on Monday's show we'll tear apart Ryan Day or not because he really his team really is banged up. But this feels like Penn State's moment. That is my pick to win. Let's get to some of the other games since I did the deep dive on that one on Wednesday. And let's start with the rivalry. As I said on the college football betting show the other day, it's the rivalry that you can quite literally set your watch to. It is Tennessee at Alabama played every year on the third Saturday in October. As far as this game is concerned, a couple things. One, Alabama, eight and a half point favorite over under 48 and a half. And let me just, let me, let me, a couple things. You know, one, obviously it's, it's, it's a rematch of a game last year. That was awesome. Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young, but they're two completely different teams as both of them now rely on the defense and specifically Tennessee relies on the run game. And I said this again on the college football betting pod on, um, you know, on, uh, on, on Thursday. But if I, w- this is the time of year where, where coaches do self scouting. What did it, what have we done? Well, what have we not, if I was self scouting myself, I've self scouting Torres. I would say that probably my biggest complaint of my coverage in the last week, I've been so focused on the Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, everything that came out from the Texas A&M perspective in that Tennessee game. I don't know that I gave enough credit to Tennessee for getting that win. And specifically, I don't know if I gave enough credit to Josh Heupel for everything that he has done as a coach this season. The focus so often in college football and in football, coaches and their systems, right? And, and, And most coaches, I think, are beholden to their systems. This is what I do. This is how I do it. Deal with it. Well, Josh Heupel had a system. It was up-tempo, it was throw the ball all over the field, and it really worked well last year. This year, though, it's the exact opposite. It's clear he doesn't trust Joe Milton, and he has completely fundamentally changed who his team is. They're a line of scrimmage team that beats you up in the line of scrimmage, runs the ball, and plays defense. So credit to Josh Heupel, credit to Tennessee. Now they're playing an Alabama team that's much the same. Nick Saban, as we've talked about time and time again, has had to adjust and readjust and readjust who his team is and what they're about this year. In terms of the game, I think it's close. I think it's low scoring. Tennessee did effectively run the football last week at Texas A&M or against Texas A&M at home. I'll be curious if it translates against Alabama this week on the road. You know, running game, physicality, they, they travel everywhere, but it is a different deal against Alabama on the road. And Alabama, I'll just say this, as far as picks are concerned, definitely lean the under. Alabama, you look at their SEC games this year, right? Take out Mississippi State, who's terrible. Alabama's their wins, 24 to 10 overall miss, 26 to 20 against AM. And then last week, 24-21 against Arkansas. I'll be blunt. I'm not really worried about the Arkansas game. Arkansas is a is a you know, the I hate to use the word because it's insulting in many ways, but they're a gritty team. And they're not going to back down. And I think Alabama let its foot off the gas. They were able to get the win. The O-line play, I would be worried a little bit about if I was Alabama. Nick Saban has talked about it. They're giving up too many sacks. Tennessee's pass rush is good. Think it's close. Think it's low scoring. Give me Bama 21-17, to a victory over Tennessee. Let's keep it going. Another top 25 matchup. This one out West, Utah at USC. USC a seven-point favorite after that debacle last week in South Bend, the over-under at 56. First of all, right before I started recording, I saw the rumor out of Dan Patrick that Lincoln Riley is flirting with the NFL, trying to sell himself as a package with Caleb Williams. I'll be blunt. I had heard this about two, three, four days ago, didn't have the sourcing to go public with it. Maybe we talk about it on Monday's show. Maybe we talk about it next week, but I'll be blunt. I, I, I think there's probably something to it. I also don't think it affects USC this week. Listen, a couple things on USC. One, the defense, everyone makes fun of Lincoln Riley. Everyone's critical of Lincoln Riley. The defense has not been the problem the last two weeks. Okay. They gave up a lot of yardage to Arizona, but as I said at the time two weeks ago, over the course of the final three quarters, they gave up seven points the rest of the game. And so I bring it up because they were, they were, they were pretty good for three quarters against Notre Dame. And they were good last week against Notre or, uh good for three quarters against Arizona. And they were good last week against Notre Dame gave up 251 yards of total offense. It's not their fault that Caleb Williams kept turning over the ball, but that's also why I like USC to win in cover this week. One Utah's offense is a debacle. We know what's going on. Cam rising their starting quarterback has not been available all year. Still waiting to see if he gets, you know, if he gets cleared at any point this season, but two, I think this is a bounce back game for Caleb Williams because even though USC lost twice to Utah last year, Caleb Williams was good in both games, at least before he got hurt in the Pac-12 championship game. You look at Caleb Williams the last two weeks, three interceptions, 59% completion percentage in his last two games. I think this last week or so has been a little bit humbling for him. think he needed a game like that to bounce back. I expect him to. I expect USC to win somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30 to 14 and the USC defense, I think, does look good against one of the worst offenses in Power 5 football, Utah, a mess without Cam Rising. There is one other top 25 matchup that I am not even going to try to break down. It's Duke at Florida State. Florida State's a 13 and a half point favorite. Why I'm not going to break it down. Duke reportedly could have back Riley Leonard, their starting quarterback, their, their you know potential first round pick at quarterback. But we are not certain if they will get him back. And so if you want to bet that game without knowing whether Duke is going to have a first rounder or not, you go ahead. I'll stay away. I think it's close. I think it's physical. If he plays, I would take Duke to cover and probably the under if he plays. If he does not play, still think the under is probably in play because they're two pretty good defensive teams. But again, it's one you can bet if you want to. A couple other games to kind of keep an eye on. One, I'll say this. Interesting game from my perspective in the SEC. SEC. Ole Miss at Auburn. Auburn's about a six and a half, seven point home underdog, which just seems too much to me. One, and I've said this throughout the year, thing about Hugh Freeze, you can like him, you cannot like him. He tells you in his Monday press conference exactly how he feels about every team that he faces, okay? So before they played Texas A&M, he said point blank, I'm scared of those guys up front and what they could potentially do to us. Those big guys up front, They have an elite third down defense. We, we don't know if we're going to be able to stay on the field. What happened? Defense ate Auburn alive. Auburn gets destroyed last week against LSU Monday press conference. He said, that is the best offensive personnel that I have seen in my time in the sec. He said, I wasn't here for Joe Burrow. I wasn't here for some of these other teams, but in my time, that's the best offensive personnel I've seen. What happens? LSU wins 48 to 18 this week. It seems as though he has a little bit more confidence. It's a night game. It's at home. And there's some interesting history here. This is incredible. You know, Ole Miss has not been in Auburn in back-to-back years since 1951 and 1952. That sounds insane. And they didn't play every year in that stretch. But since 1990 on, they have played every single season since. Ole Miss in the last 33 years doesn't have back-to-back wins over Auburn. So to me, I think everything favors at the very least a close game. I like Auburn to cover. I think they probably win. I'm not sold on Ole Miss. Remember, their last two games before their bye, seven-point win over Arkansas, six-point win over LSU. Either game could have gone the other way. Now they're on the road. I like Ole Miss to lose and Auburn to win and cover. Uh, other SEC game, one shout at the Missouri Tigers. They're a seven-point favorite against South Carolina. I think they win and cover. Arkansas, I think, gets their first SEC win of the year. Listen, I know everybody's anti Sam Pittman. I get it. And at some point, you do have to win close games. This year, they've lost four games already by a touchdown or less, by seven to BYU, by seven, old miss, by three to Alabama at Alabama, by three to LSU at LSU. First off, the schedule is just bananas. Okay. You know, this is Arkansas's first home game since week three in over a month. And in that time, these are the games that they've played at LSU, AM on a neutral, at Ole Miss, at Bama. That's four teams on either a neutral or true road game in the top 25 over that stretch. Uh, and you're coming home against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is not good. I think Arkansas gets the win, goes into their bye, you know, just with a much-needed win. And then the back half of the schedule, there are wins to be had. They still have FIU in the out-of-conference. They still have Auburn. They still have at Florida. So it's going to be a battle to get to six and six, but I think they can get there. Last game I kind of want to talk about uh, is the Clemson Miami game. Now this game comes on the heels of Dabo Sweeney's commentary about his fans. Now he ran it back, but he said, we got too many bandwagon fans. I'll be blunt. I don't like calling out your fans. I said it with Mark Stoops last week. I just, I'm not a fan. Just don't think that's the way you should approach things. I understand that, you know, fans don't ultimately pay the bills, TV networks do, and things like that. But I just think it's a really, really tacky look for a head coach. And then, of course, he tried to run it back. I think it also speaks to the fact that he knows that he doesn't have the dudes. Doesn't have them this year. Maybe he'll never have them quite like he had them in the past. But I look at this offense. Cade Klubnick, their starting quarterback. He's been good. 11 touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, seven of those 11 touchdowns, though, came against uh, Florida Atlantic and Charleston Southern was not good against Duke, was okay against Florida State, was not good in their most recent game against Wake Forest. Miami's a three-and-a-half-point home underdog. I kind of like Miami to win and cover, and we will have some Dabo conversations to have on Monday, if that's the case. All right, so what I'm going to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, we're going to bring on my buddy Garrett Carr. As I said to lead the segment, he is a guy, covers the Big Ten in Big Ten country, knows these programs well. We're going to talk a little bit about Harbaugh and a lot about Penn State, Ohio State. Take a quick break. Garrett Carr back. That's next. Thank you, everybody, as always, for your support of the Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel. And we have a major announcement as legal sports betting is now in the state of Kentucky. That is right. The Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube has partnered with DraftKick Sportsbook and the DraftKick Sportsbook app. And here is the best part. DraftKings has an incredible offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres pod who are first-time customers with DraftKings. This is the deal. Here's what you need to know. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on any game, just $5, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code Torres. That's right. It's that simple. Again, first-time customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, bet $5 on any game, Pro, college, any sport you want, and get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the code Taurus. Thank you to our new partners, DraftKings Sportsbook. Thrilled to be working with them. Take advantage of their offer now. All right, joining me via Zoom. uh, Had him on this show a few times last year. Good friend of mine. And I think he's just the perfect guy to have on uh, this week. uh, Covers college football for not only me at Aaron Torres online, also ProBible.com. And he lives in in the heart of Big Ten country, knows these programs as well as anybody. My main man, Garrett Carr. Garrett, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, what's up? How are you, Aaron? I'm good. Come on. Enthusiasm. Let's go. It's a big weekend in Big
0: Ten country. No, it is. I mean, you know, I think coming into the year, people had... Uh, three games scheduled, the round-robin between Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan. And, you know, through the first seven weeks of the year, those three teams have taken care of business. And, uh, yeah, I mean, all three of those are setting up to be absolutely monumental games. So it's it's exciting to get to the first one this weekend.
1: Real quick, before we get to Penn State, Ohio State, um, you know, Harbaugh is in the news uh, yet again. I did my little preamble before you got on. And, you know, my take is kind of pretty standard, right, is like, I know every, you know, the Michigan, oh, everybody steals signs. Everybody does this. Everybody does that. Not everybody sends other people to other stadiums. Um, And I think to me, you know, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll respond to what you said. Everybody already heard what I had to say. What, what did you make of the news today with, uh, with Jim Harbaugh?
0: Well, you know, we don't know exactly what did or didn't happen and how, how concrete the NCAA sources are though. I would Tend to say that their sources are pretty good, considering that they, you know, the investigation leaked and the Big Ten put out a statement about it. So it seems like there's definitely something there. Um, However, if if they were, uh, you know, if they were videotaping people's signs or sending people in advance, not only is that NCAA violation, but that's just kind of a a breakdown of of the code in between programs and coaches. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a sport which which has a history of you know of backstabbing and paying players and whatever and i get it but that's going to be taken pretty seriously other programs are going to frown upon that more than they will you know jim harbaugh buying cheeseburgers when he shouldn't or things like that that's personal because at that point you're you're messing with people's livelihoods of other coaches and players on film and that's just yeah so if that's what happened if indeed they were sending people ahead of time and getting video of the signs uh To me, I I can't see how Jim Harbaugh would be the coach at Michigan next year if that was came out that that is what happened.
1: Yeah, and that was kind of my takeaway, and I'm glad I kind of let you frame it how you wanted to before I got into it. Is like my whole thing is, you know, I have always thought this was Harbaugh's last year at Michigan. I think he wants back in the NFL. This was going to be his best team. He's been flirting for two years, whatever. But now it's like if you're Michigan, like you know, this this is just one where I mean, I guess your your diehard fans are always going to have your back. But this is like one, it's always going to be a cloud over your program. Like you said, this isn't getting caught paying a five-star kid. This is like, I guess the way you put it, like a fundamental breakdown of the code and kind of like, I'm not trying to be like overly dramatic, like overly dramatic media guy. That's like, Oh, you know, everything's evil, but it's like, just kind of like an uh, only word I could use is like an icky feeling. Like, it's like, dude, come on, man. Like, like we're all trying to play the same game. If you got better players, if we got better players, whatever. It's just, it crosses some like weird ethical line, which again, it's college football. It's weird that we would take that angle, but it's just something doesn't sit right if, if as you said, and as I said earlier, if, if all this is true.
0: Yeah. And, you know, s- s- there is definitely sign stealing that exists and there's some that's legal. You know, for instance, if you notice uh, during a game on the opposing sideline, every time the officer coordinator, you know, puts his fist together in a certain way that they're going to yeah. run inside zone, that's completely legal. Right. But you can't. You can't scout in person other teams. That's that's not allowed. And obviously, you can't use video to to do that. So, um, yeah, it would be not good um, nah. for Michigan if it came out that this was true. So, all
1: right, let's switch gears to the big one this weekend. Um, you know, you uh, live not that far from Penn State. You know that program well. Again, um, you know, you work for Bro Bible, so you cover the whole scene. Um, real quick on Penn State. First of all, let me, let me just ask you the question. It's become like the cliche talking point this week. I haven't really addressed it necessarily on my end because I think there's an obvious answer, but the, the big talking point has been like, who needs to win more, Ryan Day in Ohio State or James Franklin in Penn State? When you hear that question, what is your
0: answer? Ryan Day needs to win more. Uh, it just, you know he has to start winning some of these big games. And, and you know, I, I know he's undefeated against Penn State, but those other Penn State teams could not match up with him player for player like this Penn State team can have. You know, this is a game, and I know it's not a, the rivalry that Michigan is or a playoff game is, but this is the biggest non-Michigan, non-playoff game he's played at, at, okay. at Ohio State. And it's a Penn State team also that has an identity relatively similar to Michigan in terms of playing that smash-mouth football And, um, you know, that that kind of tough football, they want to run the ball. He needs to win this game. Um, It's still big for James Franklin, right? You know, he's only beat Ohio State once. It was back in 2016. Um, But but also you have to remember, too, later in the year, Penn State's got to get Michigan at home, and this is Ohio State's home game against those big three. All of a sudden, you know, if Ohio State were to lose on, on Saturday, now they've got to win in Ann Arbor to keep their playoff hopes alive that's a, that's going to be a pretty tall task. So I, I think it is bigger for Ryan day, but obviously huge game for both programs.
1: Real quick, you know, for, for, and, and I should have even led with this, you know, you've been at a couple of Penn state games, uh, whatever this year for people who just haven't watched a ton of Penn state. Cause they haven't had a lot of high profile games. I mean, I know they played Iowa, but I mean, when you're talking about West Virginia, Delaware, n- Northwestern, like they haven't played the cream of the crop. So for people that have been focusing on the sec and Texas, Oklahoma and Washington, Oregon, uh, tell us about Penn State because I said it earlier this week is like, I think it's the most talented team they've had. I think whatever, I'll, I'll just flip it back over to you for people who have not watched Penn State because you've been in the stadium and seen them in person. What do you make of them?
0: Yeah. So not, not only have I been in the stadium and seen them in person, but I've been around these guys for a while, whether it's just at practices or at events, whatever. And, you know, I've been following Penn State football closely for, you know, for 20 years now. And Penn State's always had a lot of good fundamental defenses and in this team, it starts on defense and they've had some good players and they've been really sound and good tackling team. This Penn State defense is built like an SEC defense. A top SEC defense is big like an SEC defense and runs like an SEC defense. There are freaks at all levels of this defense. Um, you, you know, you've got, you've got multiple guys mocking the first round this year. You'll have multiple guys go in the first round next year um, on the defense. Total throughout the depth chart, there's probably 20 NFL draft picks, um, guys at every level. Um, so it starts with the defense. That this is as good of a defense as any in the country. They showed that last year. Um, you know, especially against the pass. Uh, you know, Michigan ran it on them pretty well last year. But um, this is just a tremendous, tremendous Penn State defense that that has incredible depth as well. One thing to notice in this game, not to get too far down the road, is late in the game, um, which team's tiring. It's important to note that. Penn State's starters have played about half the snaps on defense to Ohio State starters this year. Um, And obviously Penn State's played some blowouts. Um, So so are the Buckeyes. So have the Buckeyes, though. But Penn State just rotates significantly more. Even in games where Penn State's had to play four quarters against Iowa or Illinois, they've just had so many more guys play than Ohio State has in their games against Notre Dame or Maryland. So on defense, it's a really deep unit. You've got a great, great pass rush. Maybe the best group of edge rushers in the country, led by – Predictive first round pick, Chop Robinson, a Maryland transfer two years ago. Um, on the other side, you've got Adisa Isaac, who had, looks fully recovered from the ACL injury he suffered uh, in 2021, um, came back last year, came on strong at the end of the year. Now, all of a sudden, he looks like he's going to be a, maybe a, a top 50 overall NFL draft pick. And you've got sophomore, uh, Deny Dennis Sun, a former five-star kid, who, if that's your third pass rusher your guy who's got size, strength, and speed, um, that's a really, really good unit. Um, on offense, um, the story coming into the season was was Drew Allard, number one quarterback in the country, according to 247 Sports, uh, in the class of 2022. Prototypical NFL player, right? You know, six foot five, 245 pounds, can move a little bit. It's got that flexible arm, you know, like Justin Herbert. He can make throws from different angles. He's got that big arm, um, and he he's been solid, if not spectacular, so far. Um, no turnovers through six games, which is very good. Um, I think he has maybe 14, 15 total touchdowns on the year. However, the Penn State offense has lacked the big play, both in the pass game and the run game. And we'll get to the run game in a second. But I think it's going to be key for Penn State on Saturday to hit uh, the big play down the field. And it's funny that I'm saying they haven't hit the big play because on their first drive of the year this year against West Virginia, they hit, I think, a 78-yard pass play for a touchdown. That's really been it for explosive plays in the pass game. In the running game, Two stud running backs, both true sophomores, Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton. Singleton was the Gatorade National Player of the Year coming out of high school. Allen was a high four-star back. Both of those guys had really, really good freshman years. They've been up and down this year a little bit. Um, Real quick, why I've no, you know, as
1: somebody who hasn't watched as much, like, is there anything wrong? Because obviously, though, you know, especially Nick Singleton had that breakout game, uh, uh, you know, at Auburn the beginning of the year last year and was really, really, really good and it's not as though like they're playing poorly but is it just they're getting fewer carries cuz they're blowouts cuz i've noticed the stats probably aren't quite where i would have expected them to be
0: yeah so i think there's a few things going on i think you know you mentioned nick um, i think one thing the coaches really worked on with nick in the offseason was was on patience and just being a little bit more of a patient runner and he is this year but but the the pendulum on that may have swung too much to the to the other side of maybe he's been a little more patient not letting his natural Strength and speed hit the hole. I think if you go back and watch the second half of last week's game, it's UMass, and it is UMass, I, I understand. But that was the best he had hit the hole all year in terms of on those wide zones and sweeps, um, getting to the edge, sticking his foot in the ground and making a cut. Catron um, Allens looked more or less the same uh, as he did last year. He He's more of your traditional Big Ten back, four or five yards in a cloud of dust, falling forward guy. Um, but yeah, you know, those guys maybe haven't ran it as well as you'd thought. They would coming into the year. Um, but obviously still two very dangerous players in the backfield there. And then on, on the offensive line, for so many years under James Franklin, Penn State was deficient on the offensive line, and especially against Ohio State. That was where the game was lost or Penn State. They they could not block the the Buckeye Edge players, whether it was the Bosa brothers or Chase Young or or last year, uh JT Tomal did uh a great job against Penn State with two sacks. Mm-hmm. He had two interceptions in that game as well. Um that's not the case this year. This is an excellent Penn State offensive line. Um, of course, it starts with Olu Fashinu, who's projected to be the top offensive tackle off the board next year's draft. Um, he's a future franchise tackle at left tackle. Um, and the other tackle, you've got Kane Wallace out there, who's a veteran player, started a lot of games. Um, and the inside solid, too. Penn they got good news this week when uh, J.B. Nelson, who was the number one JUCO recruit in the country uh, two years ago, added position at, at guard. He'll be back. He'll be ready to go on, on Saturday. So it's a well-rounded Penn state offense, but it's got to get more explosive. It's near the bottom of the country and plays over 20 yards. And, you know, it's done a really good job driving the ball on people. Of course that Iowa game, you know, total place that game or something like 97 to 23 or something, you know, some, some wild stat like that. But um, yeah, they, they've, they've got to hit some explosive plays this weekend.
1: Really quick. You live in the area. I mean, I have my perspective on like the state of Ohio state, um, I have a lot of different takes, and and anyone who's listening to this show knows. Um, I've been a little out on Ryan Day. Uh, I thought the Lou Holt stuff was a little weird. Um, but I also don't think that they're soft this year, and I think they're being carried by their defense. Like, what is what is like the there's no consensus, but like you know, like obviously if you win this game, you're supposed to, if you don't win I know they're dealing with all sorts of injuries, which I talked about on Wednesday's show. I mentioned it in the earlier uh, segment on this show as well. But like, if they don't win, is it going to be, well, shoot, you know, they're banged up and blah, 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 blah. Or is it going to be here? And and, oh, by the way, you know, it all comes down to Michigan. Our season's still ahead of us. Or do you think the sentiment will be another big game? Ryan Day's team did not come out on top.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be the sentiment of, why can't Ryan Day win games against physical football teams yep. if, if they were to lose? Because to me, if Penn State does win this game, it's going to be because they out to Ohio State. It's because, going to be because Ohio State's offensive line couldn't block Penn State's defensive line. It's going to be because Penn State had some success running the ball enough to at least set up the play-action pass. That would be the worst way for Ryan Day to lose a game because that's how he's lost to Michigan in the last two years. And you start that to and question, Jim Harbaugh was
1: stealing all the signs. But other than that...
0: no. Well, Yes. Yeah, maybe. But, um, you know, you start to question, is this a tough football team? I know you brought up Lou Holtz and Lou Holtz kind of questioned that. It was a great win for Ohio State. Absolutely great win. Going to Notre Dame Stadium. And is this a good Notre Dame team this year? I know they have two losses. That Louisville game was weird. This is a pretty good Notre Dame team. That was a good win. But if you go back and watch the game, especially in terms of them having to try to run the ball in Notre Dame, I'm not so sure how much that game dispelled the myths of them not being a tough team. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it
1: depends on what you define as tough, right? Like defense has been really solid, but the O-line still can't block. And part of it is, you know, brought in a bunch of guys in the por- – a couple guys in the portal, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going. No, but
0: you're exactly going great right about the offensive line. And, you know, they, they do have a lot of new players, and they've lost a lot of talent from last year. You know, Paris Johnson Jr. is starting in the NFL at left tackle. Uh, Dewan Jones, uh, you know, he was he, – he's a fringe start in the NFL this year. But even last year with those guys, and there were a couple mm-hmm. good interior players, Wyatt Davis as well – Even with those guys last year, they could not run the ball in short yardage last year. Uh, They were a very bad third and three or less team in short yardage. That hasn't changed this year. Um, Defensively, they are better this year. And I was high on the defense coming into this year. I told you that privately. um, Very athletic defense. More athletic than I think they've been in the back end and at, at linebacker in a while. But again, they're going to see the most physical team on their schedule so far on Saturday it'd be a different kind of test uh, defensively on Saturday for them. So yeah, but back to what you're saying, I, I think the narrative would be more on Ryan day and you know, whether or not I agree with this, I think the narrative will be if they couldn't beat Penn state at home, who many people maybe will think is Michigan light this year, how are they going to go to Ann Arbor and beat, you know, Michigan on, on, on the final Saturday of the regular season, you know, with how that crowd's going to be
1: real quick, couple, couple quick things. One, Um, before we get to a prediction, is there anything about this game that we missed? I mean, you obviously did a huge deep dive on Penn state, what they do, what they don't do well, all that. I mean, is there anything just about this game that we missed? I mean, obviously the one that comes to mind that we kind of glossed over, but I already talked about is the injuries from the Ohio state perspective. Ryan day, understandably is being coy, bunch of guys missed last week. It's a question of, could they have played if they needed to, were they trying to rest them for this game? But then more importantly, and I've talked to some people throughout the week is I think everyone kind of agrees Even if those guys play, you're going to be nothing close to 100%. All while Penn State is essentially coming off a double buy, had a buy two weeks ago, played UMass last week. Is there anything that that to me is the only other like thing that needs to be acknowledged when you talk about this game? But is there anything else that, that we haven't talked about yet?
0: I'll just reiterate what I said previously about, yes, James Franklin's only beat these guys once. However, if you look historically, a lot that's of games, they've, they've been closer than a lot of people predicted, even maybe if Ohio State got a couple eight touchdowns. There have not been any blowouts in this series where the game was not competitive in the second half since he got here. And this is the closest the talent gap's been. Um, now, does that mean Penn State's going to get it done on Saturday? Uh, you know, I'm not sure because you know you have to actually get across the finish line. And that's been a struggle for Penn State against Ohio State in 2017 and 2018. Penn State had two score leads in the fourth quarter and didn't get it done. Um, but that but was... again, I, I think it's just the, the closest the talent gap has been.
1: Well, then let's get into it. Is Penn State going to get it done this weekend?
0: Yes. Um, and people may think it's a homer pick the way I'm talking. I, I don't necessarily disagree. Here's my big issue with Ohio State. You watch them play so far this year. That offensive line is not good, and I'm not saying it's not Ohio State good. I'm saying it's not good. It's not yeah, good. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's an average Big Ten offensive line. This is not an average Big Ten average Big Ten Penn State front four. Sure. You know Abdul Carter blitzing is not an average blitzing linebacker. Um, Manny Diaz doesn't run average blitzing schemes and have average players on the back end. The Penn State secondary coming into the season was ranked as the number one secondary in the country by by Phil Steele. I don't think Ohio State can protect enough to win. And for that Ohio State offense to be successful, they need time for passing plays to develop. Ryan Day has loved those deep crossers. He loved those, he loves those deep corners and deep outs. Those plays take time to develop. And if you can't pass protect, that's going to be a problem. So so for me, that's where Penn State wins this game. Um something maybe 20 to 13, 17-13, I don't see a lot of points in it.
1: Yeah, I think I said 27, 27, 21, maybe earlier this week, which would be right on the number. I think the number is 48 or it was earlier in the week. So, no, I'm with you is, you know, and I've already made my pick. First of all, you know, I picked Penn State to make the college football playoff in the preseason. I also picked Michigan, um, but I've liked this team. And, and, you know, even just kind of talking to you in the offseason again, I know you've been around some practices and around the team you know, you and other people that I know are like, dude, this is, this is different. This is, you know, this isn't even three, four five years ago. Real quick. Um, you like Penn state this weekend who uh, assuming nothing crazy happens and assuming Jim Harbaugh finishes out the season and nothing really salacious comes out. Who do you think is the best team in the big 10 East? And then uh, who do you think is the best team in the big 10 East?
0: It's hard to not say Michigan based on what they've done the last two years and the beat down they put on Penn state in the shoe last year. That being said, and this plays itself out if you look at the results between Penn State and Michigan since Jim Harbaugh got there, that game's a lot different when it's in Beaver Stadium and when it's in Michigan Stadium. With much different game. Penn State's won most of the games at Beaver Stadium and they you know they had they've had two close losses and won the others. So the fact that that game's in Beaver Stadium, um and you know, being around the Penn State program, if Penn State were to go to that game undefeated, Michigan I assume would be undefeated. Both teams be sitting at nine and oh, that'll be the biggest game in Beaver Stadium and certainly my lifetime. You know, which is you know, I'm closing in on 30, unfortunately, and um, and many others too. I mean, that'll be that'll be an atmosphere, uh, out of this world. So, but no, I mean, a neutral site, you, you have to go with Michigan right now. They, they've won, you know, however many Big Ten games in a row. Um, They've got the veteran quarterback. They've got a team who knows how to win these big games in the Big Ten. So I would have to go Michigan.
1: So last, last, last one, because I was just thinking about something while you were talking. What is the Penn State like fan thought about the 12-team playoff? Because it's been documented time and time and time again. There are a few programs that would have benefited from a 12-team playoff that have not had access to the playoff over the last decade quite like Penn state because it feels like the talent gap is shrinking right as the uh, opportunity to compete for championships is expanding. And as somebody who was at last year's Rose bowl, for people who forget Penn state beat Utah at the Rose bowl uh, last January 1st or this January 1st, it just feels like like the fan base is as invested as ever. The, the talent is improving. James Franklin's got it rolling, but, but you know, like rolling, but there's one more step to take and it just feels like, you know, listen, you want to win this weekend and this is a big year for Penn state, but it also feels like, I, I don't know if, if I, I see a lot of, you know, Saturday night uh, at Beaver stadium, 12 team playoff games in my future guess what I'm trying to say.
0: Yes. And, and, and just quickly to to comment on that, it's funny because the way Beaver stadium is built and set up with the pipes and stuff in there, stuff above my pay grade, actually right now they wouldn't be able to host the playoff game in December. The stadium is not set up to do that. So really? Yeah. So yeah, so this offseason they are doing that, and actually, plans just got approved. Like it's um, too
1: cold, and the pipes would freeze, and the stadium would collapse, basically.
0: Yeah, so the pipes need winterized. Oh, so wow. So by that time, yeah. So, yeah, so w- which is why one of the reasons why we don't host the, the Pennsylvania High School State Championship games here, but the, it'll be ready to go for next offseason. Actually, all of Bieber Stadium is going to get a, a Kyle Field esque <laughs> facelift, which at Texas, stadium, it's basically going to be a different stadium. So that's coming up in the next. Um, five years or so, those plans were finalized this week, architects hired, whatever. Um, I just want to comment on one thing you said about the fan base bought in. I think the fan base is cautiously optimistic. I think, and I'm not saying I disagree with these fans, that many feel like Charlie Brown going to kick the football when it comes to Ohio State, that you beat them in 2016, and 2017, I mean, up 15 in the fourth quarter with the ball, you have them beat, up two scores in 2018 at home. People I think everybody on the Penn State fan base thinks this team is as good or better than Ohio State, but less people think they're actually going to go win this game. If James Franklin goes and wins this game, then he will have a completely bought-in fan base, at least as much as he'll ever get here.
1: Fair enough. And were you going to say something else? I didn't mean to cut
0: you off. Yeah, just the the 12-team playoff. I mean, it would have been nice to have. (laughs) (laughs) You know, to say the least, um, it would have been nice to have. Um, you know, how many years,
1: like it's been three or I think he's had 10 plus wins, uh, I think four or five times now. So, I mean, you're talking about really the third, second to third best team in the big 10, essentially four to five times since 2016, by the way, I still think it was a mistake for him not to politic for the playoff in 2016, I, I, you know, I don't know if you have a take on that, but I remember saying at the time, you know, I think it was year two or year three for him and, you know, Hey, we're, we're just happy to be going to the Rose bowl. That was the year they played Sam Darnold and we're grateful and we're big 10 champs. I'm like, no, dude, you don't know the next time you're going to have a chance like this, but anyway, neither here nor there. I mean, I, it's, it would have been about four, five, six times that they would have made this, te- this a 12 team playoff hypothetically. Right.
0: Yeah. So I think 2016, we'd have been, we were the first team out. So we'd have been a five seed host at a playoff game against the 12 who had been the group of five team or maybe not actually because it was US, UCF, but it have been a, a game Penn State was favored in. 2017, we'd have hosted another game. And then 2019 and 2022, I think we'd have been on the road. So right there is four. In mm-hmm. um, 2018, we were right on the cusp. We lost our last game of the year. So we'd have had a win-and-you're-in playoff game that year. Um Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice. Um It would have been nice, but it is what it is. And I th- I also think that's one of the reasons why this year is so important to Penn State fans because – you know, if it's a top 12 playoff, Penn State is probably a team that should get into top 12 yeah. playoffs more than, you know, every other year. Historically, you look at them, you know, we can argue where they're at, but it's certainly a top 12 program of all time. I agree. Time. There's no doubt about that. And
1: certainly it's- in the last decade. Yeah. No yes. doubt.
0: And it's, it's not a probably not a top four program of all time. I think fans want the validation of making the four team playoff. Sure. Especially in a year where this year, which, you know, we talked about Michigan, respect to Georgia and Washington and Oklahoma, some of those teams. A team like Penn State could win the the national championship this year. As could Ohio State, 100. Um, percent It's a year to get in where you're not just getting in to get smacked by a 2022 Georgia or a great Alabama team or 2019 LSU. It's a winnable year. So yeah, I, I think I think that uh, fans um, want to make the 14 playoff. It'll mean more to make the 14 playoff than a 12 team playoff.
1: Agreed. Garrett Carr uh covers college football for Bro Bible as well as Aaron Torres Online.com. We did a very nice piece about who the best team in college football was that dropped on Thursday. Garrett and I both picked Michigan. Uh so that would have been really cool if if we didn't find out that Harbaugh, you know, was was doing everybody dirty. But uh Garrett, where can everybody find your work outside of what you're doing with me?
0: Yeah, so at, at Bro Um, you know, that's my day job. That's my 95, posting tons of content there. Um, yeah, that, that's where to find me. And on Twitter, uh, at real Garrett Carr.
1: at real Garrett car, right. Garrett Carr from bro Bible. Um, be back, wrap the show, Garrett, dude. I appreciate the time though. Thank you. We'll do it again soon. Okay. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Take care.
1: Hey. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap as we do every single Friday here on the Aaron Torres pod with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And let me tell you, it is America's favorite podcast segment. I get more feedback on this segment than anything else I do. Bottom line is yes, for people who are new to the show, stole this from my buddy, Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every week. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It's because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. Torres said this, Torres said that, you should have listened to Torres. I never shut up. Here's the thing, though. As much as I get right, I get a lot of stuff wrong, too. And so we wrap every single Friday show with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, highlighting my best takes of the week, but also... My worst takes of the week. Let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. I've been saying since July and August, USC football ain't it. Listen, Lincoln Riley's awesome. I'm glad he's in LA. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I think he's already trying to get out the side door and get to the NFL. We'll maybe discuss that in a future show. But I bring it up because I said this is not a playoff contender. This is not a national championship contender. This is a team with a good coach and a good quarterback that has holes everywhere else. They're not getting solved in the transfer portal. They're not getting solved in one off season. And we now have like a six, seven year track record on Lincoln Riley. They might not ever get solved at all. This just might be a program like at Oklahoma. Great on offense. Defense is a mess. We'll see. That's all going forward. That's all in the future. I'm not going to write the epitaph on Lincoln Riley's career, but this was never a playoff team. It has been proven. They really have had about four straight weeks where they have not looked good dating back to Arizona state through Colorado. Colorado. Arizona last week and now Notre Dame they get smacked by Notre Dame and the schedule only gets tougher Utah this weekend at Oregon Washington UCLA this is a three loss football team good but not elite just like I've been telling you where Aaron was wrong well if I was right about USC guess what I was dead wrong about their conference rivals Washington I looked at Washington last year 11 and 2 oh my goodness they're so good congrats to them But is it really sustainable for another year? Michael Penix Jr., you never wish injuries upon anybody, but can he really stay healthy for another year? Well, yeah, apparently he can, and apparently Washington is awesome. Listen, I talked about it on Monday's show. I am so impressed with this team, this program. It isn't just a good quarterback. It isn't just a good offense. They went player for player with Oregon and beat them. They were the deserving team, the deserving winner. Credit to Washington. I was dead wrong on them. Where Aaron was right. Remember last week when Mark Stoops had those NIL comments and everybody else, oh, it's not a big deal. You folks in the media trying to make it into something. It's nothing. Well, look what happened on Saturday. Kentucky looked distracted. Mark Stoops looked distracted and they got smoked at home by the Missouri Tigers. Listen, I think Missouri is good, but at the end of the day, you cannot tell me that a coach, whether it's advertent or inadvertent or not, you can't tell me, that it has no effect on 85 guys in the locker room. And then, oh, by the way, 170 parents, you know, a mom and a dad on either side that's sitting there saying, wait a second now, so is my son not good enough? Because you came in here and told told me you're going to treat him like a son, and now you're telling me he's not good enough? By the way, I think it was insulting to you Kentucky fans that are listening. Listen, I love UK. I love Big Blue Nation. I love everything about that program. I've been on campus many, many, many times, okay? Okay. For your football coach who's making $9 million a year to come out and say, well, you guys need to be more committed. No, 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 no. You need to figure out a way to beat Missouri. Okay? I could go on and on. I'm not going to. The point has been made. I was right. Mark Stoops was wrong. Shouldn't have said it. Should have apologized. It was a big deal, and it was proven last Saturday against Missouri. where Aaron was wrong. All right. I'm going to be blunt. I'm a little shook up by this Jim Harbaugh news. And listen, I've been the biggest Jim Harbaugh supporter and defender there is. And I picked Jim Harbaugh and Michigan to win the national championship this year. And I'm flustered because I don't know. Are they good? Are they not good? Have they just been cheating? Are they stealing signs? Are they legit? Are they not legit? I thought I was looking at a potentially historically great team, steamrolling everybody. Now, my whole life has been tilted on an axis. Again, I don't know if they're good or not. I don't know if Jim Harbaugh is legit or not. What if he's been doing this the whole time? What if he was doing it at Stanford? What if he was doing it in the NFL? Listen, Michigan fans are going to try to tell you it's not a big deal. Everybody steals signs. Everybody attempts to steal signs. Not everybody sends people to opposing stadiums to try to get hand signals, this and that. So it's a huge deal. I don't think it ends well for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, but it also has just made me completely like reflect on have they always been this good? Are they actually good? What does it all mean? I'm so confused. I don't even know what to do. Let's get back to it where Aaron was right. So I started saying about five, six, seven years ago. SEC basketball is on the for people not looking, for people who aren't watching on YouTube, that is the up, the upwards uh uh direction that I was pointing. Okay. Think of the game. Uh, what, what, what's the game on uh Price is Right, where the guy, the yodeler, goes up the mountain. That was SEC basketball about five, six years ago. I said, "Look, this is a program. This is a a, a conference. Excuse me. They are investing in ways that they never have. They're bringing in good coaches. Auburn with Bruce Pearl, Rick Barnes at Tennessee, uh, Avery Johnson at, at Alabama doesn't work, so they fire him and bring in Nate Oates. Eric Musselman at Arkansas. That's in addition to John Calipari and some of the other older guys that have been there. Why do I bring it up?" Well, it was because the AP poll was released this week, and guess what? You know what conference had the most teams in the preseason? Top 25 wasn't the Big 12. Was it the Big East who Dan Hurley says is the best conference he's ever seen? It was the SEC with Tennessee in the top 10, Arkansas, A&M, and Kentucky between between 10 and 20, and the reigning SEC champs, Alabama, at number 24. This league is on the rise. The talent levels on the court, the talent levels in the coaching circles are through the roof. And I'll wrap by saying, I think the league's only getting better. Chris Beers at Ole Miss. Um, you know, Chris Jans at Mississippi State's really good. Dennis Gates, his resume speaks for itself at Missouri. This league is on fire, and the basketball product has never been better. Let's get back to it where Aaron was wrong. You know what's not on fire? Texas A&M football. And we talked about it a lot in the early week show and the midweek show with the reports that Jim, Jim Jimbo Fisher could be bought out. It's just really bad. And for years I've tried to defend it for years. I've said Jim Jimbo Fisher isn't as bad as everybody makes. No, he is that bad. It is a disaster. And I think it falls on him. Listen, I understand that nobody wins every game, not Nick Saban, not Kirby smart, not Jim Harbaugh with the other team signs. Okay. But at the same time to be Owen eight in your last eight road games, To have never beaten a ranked team in a true road game as head coach at Texas A&M, that is unacceptable in year six. The talent is there. I know there's a backup quarterback, but these are games that you have a chance to win. you got to go out and win one of them, Jimbo Fisher. Listen, I say it all the time. John Calipari has the famous quote about his players. You want to shoot the basketball? Okay. You don't need to make everyone, but you can't miss everyone either. It's kind of the same with Jimbo Fisher. I don't need you to win every big game, but can you win me like one that matters? And so Texas A&M is now four and three. The program is on the brink. I've tried to defend Jimbo Fisher. I cannot. Let's wrap two more. This one's a doozy where Aaron was right. Did you see the reports out of St. John's basketball? John Rothstein, the first one to report it. Then I think Rick Patino said it at the podium. They are trying to set up a game Opening night 2024-2025 at Arthur Ashe Stadium, the tennis stadium that'll probably hold about 30,000 people to play Duke. And so I bring it up, first of all, Patino, anyone who knows him, he's sort of a little bit of a pathological liar. But I only bring it up to say what Patino has done for that program, for college basketball in New York, before ever coaching a game, it is absolutely unbelievable. And I thought he was going to be good and I thought it was going to be big. This has the potential to be even bigger than I expected. Patino's already saying, all of our home games going forward, we want in the Garden. We want to sell that place out. We want New York City to be the mecca of college basketball, and it's well on its way. I cannot believe what this guy has done in such a short amount of time. Credit to Rick Patino. By the way, I was kind of the one that pushed the bandwagon. I got to take the victory lap on this one. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. Let's go a little bit obscure. Because about three or four years ago, I think it was three years ago, Dave Roberts, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers on radio, I said, and I think I might have, I think I did one baseball segment with Nick, 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 coffee on this show. And I said, Dave Roberts is an abomination. Dave Roberts needs to be fired right now. Well, they keep bringing him back. And outside of the bubble COVID year where they played the, the, the world series in Texas. The Dodgers keep choking in the playoffs in Major League Baseball. And I know most of you don't care. But listen, uh, Aaron right, Aaron wrong. We hit on some random topics sometimes. And I've been saying for years, this guy is a clown. For people who don't follow Dodgers baseball, he's a puppet for the GM in the front office. So they'll never fire him because he does exactly what they want. But this organization, I, I, I can say this. Living in L.A., we're at the point. It doesn't matter how many regular season games you win. Nobody cares. doesn't matter how many division titles you win. It's about chips. It's about rings. It's about national championships. Dodgers baseball at this point is like Alabama football, Kentucky basketball. Don't get us to the dance. Win when you get there. I've been saying for years, Dave Roberts isn't the right guy. They refuse to fire him. It's an abomination. Dodgers out. Playoffs going on. Congrats to the four teams still in. The Astros, Rangers, Phillies, and the Arizona Diamondbacks. How about that? Torres on baseball to wrap the show. Who would have thunk it? All right, with that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here, mainly because I think my voice is about to give out. I've done about like 25 hours of recording this week. It never ends. But first of all, I appreciate everybody's support. It's been a heck of a week, a heck of a month, a heck of a fall. YouTube numbers are through the roof. Podcast downloads are are doing great. And I cannot thank all of you enough for your support. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres pod on TikTok. Get us there. And make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Finally, you guys and girls always ask, how can I help? Well, if you've never used DraftKings before, if you're in a state with legal sports betting, make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game. Get 200 dollars in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code Taurus. That's all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. I appreciate everybody's support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who still hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick, UF Ed. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday and we'll have plenty to talk about. New episode, Erod.